Welcome to the Chasing Brighter podcast, a show about self-discovery and lifestyle tips for moms. We are your hosts. I'm Kelly, a wife, mom of two, and an independent consultant with my own company in Chicago. And I'm Jessica, mom of three, and owner of my own outpatient mental health practice in Nevada. You're about to go on a journey of self-discovery as we chase a brighter you. Every single week, we will bring you new episodes that will cover everything from lifestyle and tips to more serious conversations about grief, life, and hardships. Whether it's a duo episode or we have a guest, you are guaranteed to pick up a new tool or feel less alone. This one is for the moms that have forgotten how to make time to keep their spark alive. Allow this show to be a reminder to always keep chasing a brighter version of you. Let's get into it. Hi, welcome to our first episode in February. Kelly and I are actually in the same space. Yay! We are in Orlando this week for PodFest, and we also just wanted to introduce February. We're going to be talking about all different kinds of relationships, and particularly in today's episode, we're going to be talking about intimacy in a long-term committed relationship. We define an intimate relationship as a feeling of being close and emotionally connected and supported. It means being able to share a whole range of thoughts, feelings, and experiences that we have as human beings. Today, we're going to focus on four areas of intimacy. There's physical intimacy, emotional intimacy, mental or intellectual intimacy, and spiritual intimacy. Jess and I have over 20 years experience. Can you believe that? That's crazy. That's crazy. With our spouses. And so our relationships aren't necessarily perfect, but we wanted to share with you our own thoughts on these four areas and what we found that works for us, what we're still working on, and explore where we'd like to be. Yeah. So let's get going. We're going to start. Kelly's diving right in. She made the agenda today, and she wants to dive right into the physical relationship. When we, the thing is that I wanted to structure this conversation because I have, I'm not the expert. Jess is, right, guys? And so I have to, like, figure out how to, like, get my thoughts around these things where I think Jess can just spew out stuff on the fly because she's amazing. So we're diving right into physical which is probably the most uncomfortable part for me. (laughs) And my Catholic schoolgirl shame that I'm still trying to overcome when it comes to talking about anything with regard to sex. But my safe spot is just talking about physical touch in general. And one of the things that I thought was interesting in my research here was just even physical touch and how that can really help build bonds, and reduce perceptions of loneliness. And what I have found even for myself is I think there was a long time where I could go throughout the day without even just putting my hand on Brian. You're just running from thing to thing. And I think we really try to be more intentional now in our relationship about not only just the physical like sexual stuff, but even just a physical touch in a day-to-day. What I've also learned based on the book Come As You Are which is fantastic, which really talked a lot about intimacy, was the accelerators and the brakes when it comes to things. So I think for that one, I think just that physical touch on it in a moment-by-moment basis can also help build some good connections. That also reminds me of another book we can recommend as well is Love Languages. Did you read the five? Oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't read the five love languages, but we took 
I took the quiz. Mm-hmm. And physical touch is really important to me. Yeah, and not there's a lot sexual of good physical serve- touch. But I remember when I was in second grade and I had Mrs. Presley and my mom went to talk to her and she was like, Jessica likes to hug, but she talked about it like it was a bad thing about me. And mom was like, she's seven. So mom wasn't bothered by it. I loved hugging. I remember I went to third grade and I had Mrs. Dirk and I forget the other. She was an amazing teacher. teacher. And they go, which one do you like to hug more? And I go, well, Mrs. Dirk, because she's squishier. I'm like, (laughs) I'm sure that wasn't the best thing to say. But I, so physical touch is really important to me. I don't need to be like spooning in bed all the time, but I just love hugs. And that is a way that I do express love and I do feel connected. I think as far as like sexual physical intimacy, I I love the book Sex Points because in my life, I think my sex drive has ebbed and flowed and research shows that men and women are very equal as far as sex drive. I know society and that's where we come into toxic masculinity. We're like, oh, men can't. They have to have sex. If they don't have sex, they don't know what to do. But really, sex drive is 50-50. And so I think for me, after being a mom, was very normalized with all of my mom friends. I even said the word I could never have. I even said I could never have sex again and be fine. I literally said that. And all my mom friends were like, totally. And I think now there's a term, what's it called? Like being touched out. And that wasn't a term. So I had two littles, like you're nursing and you have little kids climbing on you all day and you're like, get the F away from me. But like being overstimulated and touched out wasn't like a term. So that was probably happening for me also hormonal stuff. And so I love the book Sex Points because she breaks, it's for women. It's it's written by an OBGYN and she just talks about there being four quadrants of sex. It's arousal, desire, pain, and orgasm. And I think when you go through that book, you go through her quiz. Batshiva is yeah, the author. Dr. Yeah. Batshiva. Yep. You, you go through the a quiz and kind of see where maybe you're lacking. But they do say women are in their sexual peak in their 40s. So as I came Mm. to 40, my sex drive went like way through the roof. And then I was like, how was I ever saying that I never want to have sex again? And it was so normalized. And I feel like that's so not okay that women are just like, oh, I've had kids. I can be dead now. But I think that's normalized. And so if I would have, if somebody would have told me, oh, Jessica, there are these simple things you could do increase arousal or desire i wasn't even aware that was a thing that happened i just thought my sex drive was dead for the rest of my life i think that it's so good for your mental health more than people realize in some way i thought the sex point book was good after going through couples therapy because of my shame and issues with intimacy i saw a sex therapist and so she had also recommended a couple different books for me and one was come as you are and that one also just talked about how I think to your point when you c- come out of having a child or, or multiple kids and your sex drive seems non-existent where there's ways that you need to nurture and care for your own like sexual health. Right. And so the book Come As You Are was really great in that. And like I said, it talked about different components. And so for me, I realized that the sex drive is tied to things that are breaks versus accelerators. And so it's like trying to focus on things that help accelerate yeah. and make me want to feel closer to my partner right. instead of things that make me want to pull away. And right. so I think in my own journey, which is still happening, is trying to f- be more intentional about things that bring me 
closer to my partner physically. Well, and we read last year, one of our book club books was Eight Dates by John and Julie Gottman. And they say in there, and this is a generalization for heterosexual couples, but that men need to have sex to feel close and women need to feel close to have sex. And I do think that really resonates with me. And yeah, I remember that's interesting. Like, a million years ago, it was something on the Today Show, unloading the dishwasher is more of an aphrodisiac for a woman. And I think that is, I think that goes back to the love languages yeah. on what is your partner doing that's speaking to you. Yeah. And so I think acts of service were very big when we had little kids. I wanted my partner to be doing household thing. But now that our kids are more independent, I don't care about acts of service. I want tokens of appreciation. I want words of affirmation. I want physical touch. And so like you're saying, you need to tap in yourself and know what you need and what helps you feel connected and then verbalize that to your partner. Yeah. So I think to summarize our physical intimacy journeys, what did you do that was really helpful? I think just learning more about who I am as a person. So I thought there was something wrong with me because I didn't have these desires or or sex drive. And I think as I learned to kind of figure out how to, I guess for lack of a better word, fix myself, but really some tools to sort of define define myself and also work on it because it has been work for me to try to be more intentional about nurturing that area of physical intimacy and even just literally putting my hand on Brian or like giving him a kiss once in a while. There are things I just wasn't doing and it was making him- Were you when you first started dating? Yeah. And just as you had kids and stuff, you fall out of this routine. And I think it was making, there's a feeling for both of us of feeling alone because I wasn't, not just me, but I mean- I think same. I think when I first met my partner, we had to see each other all the time. I couldn't keep my hands off of him, right? And then you have all these things getting away, right? Like your career, a mortgage, kids, all the things. I think for me, it was like the opposite. It felt so normalized. And I think, and I know I don't like to use the word should, I don't think it should be normalized. And that's why I like Dr. Batsheva because she just talks about like our sex drive ebbs and flows, but it can be improved and changed. Yes. Yeah, for so sure. So I felt like it was kind of like a set thing that like it's men over. want sex, yeah. women don't, the end. I'm sad that's normalized because it's not true. And so for both of us going to experts, getting help from experts, reading books yeah. has been helpful and it's work. It's work. It's work. If you see a couple that you think can't keep their hands off each other or whatever, I want our listeners to recognize that that's work. There is work that goes into a long-term relationship. We're both going to be 25 years in. We both met our partners in 1999. Yeah, that's crazy. You're right. And so we've been with more of our partners longer than we've been without them. Yes. And so it's like this is all taking work and we're committed to it. We're communicating. And so that physical aspect may not be natural, but it can be worked on and you can't increase arousal and desire. You really can. Yes. Yes. I agree. I agree. And so that kind of leads into one of the other areas of intimacy in terms of emotional intimacy, which is really about being transparent with your feelings, fears, and thoughts. All these are very much intertwined, but emotional intimacy really involves feeling safe despite differences of experiences and emotions that you're safe with each other. And you find support and comfort when you express those fears, pains, and doubts. And this, to me, was the greatest, in my experience, when we went to couples therapy, this was the area that improved the most. Because I think that 
we both felt not safe to share thoughts and feelings. Sometimes my delivery sucks when you're trying to express something. It doesn't come out in a way that is healthy and people might get hurt with their feelings. And so our greatest improvement has been the emotional connection. Still hard, but even feeling safe sharing, like I don't like it when I'm a people pleaser, Jess. When everything that we went through growing up, I felt like I was always trying to, I still am trying to keep everybody happy. And so in that, I was always afraid to express my own thoughts and feelings. And so learning how to do that and feel safe about it was really helped me. When you talk about couples therapy, I think one of the things, so we went to couples therapy as well, and we went to see someone who exclusively utilized the Gottman method. And one of the things in the Gottman method is updating your information on each other. And so I think that there was a time where I know I was not caring for myself and I was not engaging in self-care in a way that made me my best self. And so I wasn't a safe person to come to because I was drowning in children. And so I think when my partner came to me, I wasn't kind or nice. But then I made all of these changes and really focusing on myself and changing but he was still operating off of old information. And so when we would have couple sessions and he would say, well, I'd like to do that, but Jess would be, well, what would Jess do? And then he was like, oh, actually nothing. And I'm saying, but it was like he was acting off of outdated information. And so I think it's important that you take this time with your partner to make sure that you're getting to know each other and not just, I think for a lot of couples, particularly we only know about being parents. But when you become a parent, I think sometimes you don't put on partner hat anymore. Like you're only talking as like moms and dads. And yeah, debriefing it becomes like a partnership more right. than, yeah, it right. kind of shifts and, a little bit. And so I think that we needed to rekindle the emotional connection. connection. And there are a lot of ways to do that. Yeah. What we did was we went to therapy and got homework on what to do in order to be able to talk with each other. My partner has a very difficult time identifying and verbalizing emotions. And that's something that we continue to work on because he just didn't grow up in a house where they just talk about emotions. They just didn't, oh, they just didn't talk about emotions, I guess. And so that's not a skill that he has. Well, I have no problem communicating, talking about my emotions, but, but then we have to create space for my partner. And also he's had to learn that I'm not the same person that would be reactive and unkind. Now I'm in a great space. I'm a safe space now. Yeah. It's those well-worn paths that can get challenging. And I think therapy doesn't have to be the answer, right? There's a lot of different ways you can work to connect emotionally. It's about making an intentional effort to figure out ways to connect better emotionally. And some of those things, even now, just on a day-to-day, are some of the books we read, right? Yeah. Like Eight Dates was a great yeah. book. Having conversations that open up the door to be able to share thoughts and emotions in a way that you can feel safe. And some of those are also building bridges where you're starting to talk about one topic. And so for me, one of the things that's really hard is from a, a connection perspective is when emotionally or sensitive topics come up like fears and feelings about like money. Like for me, money is a trigger because of just my own history and like how we grew up. And it's not so much from my partner. And so 
really trying to figure out how to have those conversations in a constructive way that isn't feel threatening is still something we're working on. When you talk about that too, I just want to side note, and I had an aha moment that my friend really helped me. We were talking it out. And I think sometimes when you're in a long-term relationship, you begin to allow your partner to define you and you can lose who you are. So for instance, because I was an at-home mom full-time for five years, who's going to do most of the spending? The mom mm-hmm. that's home. So I'm buying their clothes. I'm buying groceries. I'm getting gas, getting everything. And so I felt like my partner <clears throat> would kind of make jokes about me being a spender and kind of blowing money and stuff like that. And then I would feel, and you're right, maybe from childhood, I don't know, guilt about it or feel really weird about it and not feel good about it and think like, oh my gosh, am I spending money? Am I just like blowing money? What am I doing? And then I got an email and my husband had just ordered a whole bunch of baseball cards. So any of you who have anybody in your life that is a hobbyist, that hobbies can be expensive. And I was thinking, he's spending quite a bit of money on baseball cards and I don't really care. And I started thinking about it. I'm not spending money. And so when you have a partner that kind of makes a joking comment over a long time, I think you start internalizing that. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Start thinking, oh my gosh, that's who I am. Wait a minute. I don't need to feel guilty about this. I'm not doing anything wrong. And just kind of having to go through that process. And I had to talk with my friend. Just anyways, one of the things her partner says to her, right, is like, oh, that's selfish. So you start thinking, I'm selfish, I'm selfish, I'm selfish. And then it's like, wait a minute, I I don't know where that ties into the emotional stuff, but I think it's important. Here's how it ties into that is part of that emotional connection is I think breaking the internal narratives we have or sharing those with our partner because I don't, I didn't realize, I think sometimes when you have an internal narrative like that, you just assume that people truly feel that way. I think breaking that. So when you say I blow money. Yes. That makes me feel guilty. Like I'm just wasting money say and, we that, don't, and we don't have resources yes. and I'm a bad person. And then when you express that. Right. And the yes. other person's like, no, that's not I was just joking around. I, I don't yes. really care. Because that's in my house. That's what it is. And so, but it was like, I never stood up for myself, if that makes sense. And then when I finally said something, my partner was like, I don't really care. It's like I created this story yeah. Yeah. that wasn't real. So yeah. yeah. For sure. So, and one of the things with connecting emotionally and having those conversations and learning ways to express feelings, pains, doubts, Orly Katz has an amazing relationship cards that really start to spark those conversations. Questions for couples. And that is because she is a certified Gottman therapist. And John and Julie Gottman also have an app called Gottman Card Decks, G-O-T-T-M-A-N. And what they're talking about is need to be asking yourself those questions to update information like who's your best friend they're non like triggering comments well and those tie into the third of the four kind of like intimacy areas which is mental and intellectual intimacy which really refer to sharing ideas opinions and life perspectives with your partner and those are non-triggering right like intellectual it can be intellectually challenging but hearing each other's ideas, having simulating discussions about yes. different topics, again, feeling safe to be able to express your own views. My partner and I don't see eye to eye on a lot of things, but we're respectful of each other. Mm-hmm. So it's just important that you show mutual respect when you have differing views. And really part of this is being curious about your partner. And to me, this area is another one. I think having been with the same person for 
almost 25 years is maintaining that curiosity is hard. And so figure out ways to stay curious. Well, I think, well, we've changed so much. Like I was this naive, young, sheltered Catholic girl, right? And now I'm... A blossoming. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I don't know a new way to say <laughs> old what hag. I am, but it's like because you've even identified sometimes as atheist throughout your life, right? Or no, I made that up. Yeah, I don't. I, mean, I don't like to put I'm a not, label on. Okay, it. we both started out with these. Maybe you didn't have strong Catholic views, but these strong Catholic views, and then our just this is just one example. Our religious views have changed so much where we're questioning: Is there a God? Is there not a God? What do I think? Do I consider myself Christian? Do Correct. I consider myself Catholic? So all of those things have changed over 25 years. Have we been having these discussions with our partner? Like, what do you think about religion? What do you think about spirituality? You know, just all different kinds of things. So I think on on the one hand, I see what you're saying. But on the other hand, I just think I've changed so much that I'm not even the same. It's not like I've been the same person that it's well, like boring because I've changed so much. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Even checking on those. I don't remember the last time I've had a conversation with Brian about religion. So my dream life is beginning to happen in 2024 where I'm trying, I've been trying this for a while, but I'm creating a book club with Justin. He doesn't oh, know cool. yet. He didn't know he signed up for membership. And so <laughs> the first book I got, if you if you haven't got it yet, I'm obsessed with The Four Agreements. Yes, you are obsessed with that. And so I was like, I really, 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 really want you to read this. And so, oh, I'll go ahead and get myself another copy. And so we're going to read it together oh, that's cool. and talk about it. And so in my dream land, my my husband and I, and we've gone through phases where we've read the same books. Like we read Hunger Games. We read Divergent. We read the, the what is it? Children of Blood and Water. The blood and Bone. Children of Blood and Bone. And so we've kind of read books and talked about it. And I'm getting him into podcasting. And so I just love, I think for a while... And again, talking about identifying and verbalizing your needs with your partner, for me, because I'm so curious and always really on a journey to improve myself, of having those discussions with my partner, like, hey, I'm on a journey to improve myself. I need you to be on a journey. I think you hopped off the bus and pitched a tent. I need you to pack up and get Keep on a journey. Going. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that really ties into the fourth and final intimacy, which is spirituality. And spiritual int- intimacy means feeling close, validated, and safe, sharing your innermost ideas and beliefs on life's purpose and your connection with divine energies in some way. And I think, yeah, and knowing about each other's beliefs. Yes. And why they're important to you and sharing the impact your beliefs have on your life. I think that reminds me, I read this book called The Light Healer's Way, and she started taking these classes about being a psychic, and she was meditating, and she was really nervous to talk to her husband about where that was going for her. And so finally, she took up the the courage and talked to him and said, hey, I really want to continue working on my psychic abilities, and I want to, and he was like, oh my gosh, me too. Like, that's what I'm doing. And so I think she was worried that he was going to be, I'm out, or that's weird, or you're crazy. What's the big deal about talking to your partner about your spiritual beliefs? But I think they can feel very private. And it can be scary if you're maybe having spiritual views that are maybe outside of, let's say, quote unquote, the norm. And 
again, going back to that internal narrative where you're telling yourself that person won't agree with you or they don't, you're filling in a gap without giving them an opportunity to really share, yeah. share their side. And they want to hear your side too. And it's really interesting because I don't think of this as religion. And I just had a talk with Gabby's boyfriend. Hey, AJ, about he goes, you think he, he made goes, it in this episode? He this far? loves our <laughs> podcast. And he stopped listening because Gabby was making fun of him because she said he's not our demographic. <laughs> anyway, so he was like, I don't get it. I, I'm paraphrasing. He was like, I don't get it. You're really you seem really spiritual, but you don't go to church. And I was like, oh, I said, well, I think that religion and spirituality are different. So we had this really great conversation about that. And so I think people and maybe other people, maybe our listeners will disagree, but I think that it doesn't mean religion to me. And I've been having these talks with my partner. It's becoming more and more important to me that he's on his own spiritual journey as well. And I don't care what that is. I think about spirituality as like tapping into your purpose here. It. I think spirituality can mean many different things yeah. to many different people. Yeah. And in my research of this conversation, I actually had a hard time finding some guidance and thoughts on spirituality for people who aren't super what I would say is religious and go to church. Because I think most people think spirituality, religion, church, all in one. So if you look up how to build spirituality with your partner, it'll be like, pray together, go to church together. What about people who don't do those two things? So for some people, it is that. For some people, like think about even our aunts or uncles who, we have a couple uncles who converted to Catholicism later in life because there are aunts who were going to church regularly. And I think that for some people, they go through their own spiritual journey and they land in different places. I found some information on how could you build spirituality without having to go to church or having that. And it's all about meditation. I loved giving back your time. Yeah. So really, it's about service. Yeah. Spirituality to me is also about service. So spending yeah. time doing something together or right. charities, there's spiritual retreats or right. yoga, even Bessel, good old Dr. Van, Van der Kolk, who talked about him and his wife did yoga together later in life. That's well, my dream. Yeah. So someday we, I can get Brian maybe on that. Some so, goat, maybe know, I'll do goat Carrie yoga someday. told me a long time ago, our friend Carrie said that her and her husband did meditation classes together, yeah. which I think is really cool. Yeah, that would be cool. So I think that's what I'm wanting for my partner, right? And so that's something that I identified and verbalized, hey, this is what I think of spirituality and I think of spirituality of tapping into yourself like a meditation and asking what's my purpose here and feeling that you are engaging in a purposeful life. We're using journaling, things like the Legend Planner to help guide you and asking those big questions of why you're here. That's great. And that plays into the idea of holding space for rituals for mm -hmm. both of you, which is great. Very good. Brian and I used to walk a lot together, yeah. which I think was part of that. Rituals and connection. And at a minimum, the one thing that I think is certainly part of a spiritual practice, and I Googled it, and so I found it, which means it's true, is laughter, play, and tenderness with your partner is also yeah. part of spirituality. It's just building those bonds of really connecting in that way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think, again, to summarize what we've been talking about today, 25 
years together, right? Has 50 been, years combined, yes. yes. Has been work, right? And we've had ups and downs, but I think it's about, first of all, knowing yourself, right? Caring for yourself, knowing yourself, and then identifying and verbalizing those needs to your partner, right? Yes. And yes. I think it's great to, th- I hope this episode encourages any of you who are in long-term relationships. And a lot of these tips can be used in friendships, not just romantic, intimate relationships. Well, we have some great upcoming episodes on yeah, friendships. Other, yeah, and other relationships mm-hmm. too we'll be talking about. But I think this is great to do a little checkup and say, where are we with our physical intimacy? Where are we with our emotional intimacy? Where are we intellectually, spiritually? And kind of see, oh, look, maybe we need a little bit of work right here. You yeah. Know? I mean, even for me, just even going through this, it makes me kind of take stock of where yeah. we are. And because yeah. I think you have to nurture relationships to yeah. keep them growing. And I think you and I were talking, and one of the things, and I don't want to do this, it's just for my relationship. I want to book a trip with private wine tours to Napa with my partner. <laughs> and I think that would hit all of the I th- yes, And I, I agree. think I it's think necessary to have wine on a cliff. And I think that will have a relationship peak at that time. Pun intended. Thanks for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe so you can hear our latest episodes as soon as they drop. If you love today's episode, please share with another mom. If you want to know more about Kelly and I, want to find more of our blogs, tips, tools, resources, check that out at ChasingBrighter.com. And we interact with you on Instagram and Facebook at Chasing Brighter. Thanks. We'll be here next week.